Lost and Sound is sponsored by Audio Technica. This year it's the company's 60th anniversary. Audio Technica are a global but still family run company that make affordable products because they believe that high quality audio should be accessible to all. Their wireless earbuds are one of the best and most accessible ways to listen to Lost and Sound on, and it's through these that I've been listening to the artist you're about to hear today. So head on over to audiotechnica.com to check out all of their range of stuff. Okay, it's a sunny afternoon in Berlin. I'm stood by a train track with with my recording equipment. People probably think I'm a train spotter, but I don't care. Nothing wrong in that. I'm Paul Hamford, and this is Lost and Sound. going? I'm Paul Hamford. I'm a writer, an author, a presenter, and welcome to Lost and Sound, the podcast where we meet the innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the artists that do their own unique thing. And we talk about life and the things that inspire us to make what we make, because beautiful things don't come out of a hierarchy of knowledge, but out of sharing. Past guests have included Peaches, Cozy Fanny Tutti, Jim O'Rourke, Chili Gonzalez, Leticia Sadier, Ghost Poet, Nightmares on Wax, Ellen Alien, Jan Tiersen, and so, so, so many more. And today you're going to hear a rather lovely conversation I had very recently with JD Twitch. Head on over to my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Paul Hanford if you'd like to support the show. And my book, Coming to Berlin, is available now on Velocity Press. Right, JD Twitch, aka Edinburgh-born Keith MacGyver, one half of Optimo with Johnny Wilkes. Twitch first met Johnny back in the 90s at the legendary night pure they were both had conversations saying about how dissatisfied they were or or they were feeling dissatisfied about the state of current club music this is in the late 90s and they bonded out of a love of ebm techno acid house industrial minimal disco funk post-punk you name it if it's good music they loved it and they set up optimo espacio on a sunday night at the sub club in Glasgow in 1997. They've just celebrated their 25th anniversary for this. And one of the things that I really, really, really love about what they do, about what JD does, which I think has also endeared him to so many of us, is the way that so often people seem to fall into being populist or a bit anarchy, I guess. Maybe it's kind of fate that I'm by a train track as I'm saying this, but there's a lot of train spotters with obscure music. Yet what JD does is so beautiful the way 
he encompasses all good music. If you think back to, all the way back to the 2006 Pete Tong Essential mix that, that he did, where obscure cuts are mixed with stuff like Chic, stuff that I think a lot of, uh, of, of the more elitist kind of tendencies that come out in, 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 in crate digging uh, kind of turn their nose up for. But stuff that if, 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 you, if you put your hand on your heart and you've got a pulse there, you love as well. Um, I love Optimo Especio. I love JD Twitch's sets. And it was such a lovely honor to chat with him. And this is what happened. Hey, Keith, how are you doing? Good, how's it going? Yeah, yeah, not too bad, not too bad. You, are you, uh, a, 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 you good at the start of the week or is it, are you one of these people that takes a few days to kind of warm into, warm into the week after the weekend? I take a, well, it depends. I had a busy weekend, so it takes me to like Friday to get back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm okay. I'm okay, actually, surprisingly, yeah. We had uh, two events on, on Saturday, so I DJ'd for 10 hours, which is... Quite, quite demanding, actually. What you know, what for you is what's your kind of like ideal amount of hours to to DJ for? Do you have like a sort of like an optimal kind of like anything over, anything under? You can't really express yourself anything over. You kind of I burn mean, out a bit. Quite obvious. We do, we do over the last few years. It's really pivoted. To, I'd say you know five six years ago, maybe seventy percent of our gigs were club gigs and thirty percent were festival gigs, and now it's the reverse. And festival sets are short by nature. It's very unusual to get more than two hours. Occasionally, you get three hours. Sometimes you get an hour and a half, mm. and that's it. Changes the way you DJ. It feel I've actually grown to quite like it, mm. but it's a very compressed energy. And then if we get the chance to spread out and really play, I really relish that. Mm. Um, my ideal would probably be because there's two of us, so we're playing ninety percent of the gigs I do do with Johnny, ten percent do on my own. And mm. um, we really like to five or six hours is ideal for the for the two of us. Yeah, and you feel like is it quite important to you the kind of concept of the journey? Do you think it, you know? I mean, again, it depends. Like I, I've grown to really like that festival where you go in and it's a short, sharp shot. You're following someone else that's at a certain level of energy, and it's like a challenge to just like keep a large audience entertained. But I also like to have. I don't know about the, the journey thing, but just chance to play music that's maybe a bit deeper that I wouldn't normally, I couldn't perhaps play in those situations where you've got a crowd and you know, well, they're going to stick with us. They're not going anywhere. Mm. And you can maybe take some more more risks or play some things that you're like maybe more, you haven't tried out before and you want to experiment on a, on a dance floor. Yeah, it's, it's one of the ways it does kind of connect DJs with, with like live bands, isn't it? In, in that sense that the, the live festival thing you know is like the sort of you know the bands have to sort of compress everything to like maybe like the hits you know or or whereas like they can't they can't try out the you know the the space jazz odyssey yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely so in a two-hour festival slot it's maybe hard so i mean we sometimes will drop mm. something i have this running joke with with johnny quite well, right i'm going to play something absolutely crazy <laughs> and this is going to go either way Meaning either it's going to go off or people are going to just leave. And amazingly, so far, every time it seems to go off. And Johnny did one recently. We played Green Man Festival, mm. a really great festival in Wales. And, um, and it's actually something that I introduced him to. Uh, but it's this three-minute speech by this miner from the miners' strike back in the in the mid-'80s. Mm. 
which was made quite near where Green... The miner was from um, the south coast of England, but he was making a speech in Wales, quite near where Green Man was. Mm. And he's talking about that time. He talks about the Green and Coma woman. But, he, but the theme of what he's talking about is incredibly relevant to now. He talks mm. about supporting picket lines. Uh, and, and Jolly played this entire speech. And I guess, you know, you had a like-minded audience. So yeah. you were... It, if any audience was going to be supported, it's one of the people that go to Green Man Festival. But people went crazy to it. They really, really responded. I and mean, they must have been thinking, well, I mean, some people weren't, wouldn't have known what a Green and Common woman was. It was been before mm. they were even born. But there was something about the power of this voice and that it was relevant to industrial action in this current time. So I'd say that's quite a risky thing to play in the middle of a two-hour set at a festival and to manage to keep an audience and have an audience on side and cheering along even <laughs> that's brilliant i mean there, there has there is kind of a you know there is that tradition of i think particularly during the acid house era of of you know like say for example using like the martin luther king kind of speeches and stuff like that but but also like um from my point of view growing up in britain that always sounded kind of a little bit like a, a kind of a trope you know whereas like that's true, that's true. and perhaps are relevant to the british experience i mean it's yeah. a very, i love that speech it's a very mm. powerful Obviously, there's issues now with a white person playing something that was aimed at, um, written and spoken by a black person to a black audience. And there is debates about using that about appropriation, but it's still a very powerful speech. There's another speech by Jesse Jackson that I, the similar issues come up and someone said, you know, you shouldn't really play that because he was saying that to a black audience as a black person. But I think the themes are still relevant and it's the... There was a festival called Wattstacks in the 1970s, and he introduces the festival. He makes this very powerful speech about music being music and like about against like kind of genres. And actually, I don't know if you know the Andrew Weatherall remix of Come Together by Primal Absolutely. Speech. That's always my go-to. That's where I first heard it in, yeah. in that and I track down the original speech and sometimes play that. And there's something about the the tonality of his voice that is very moving to, to an audience. There's also debates about should you bring this into a club environment? We recently played in um, North Shields in, mm. in a working man's club, which was an incredible gig. And I played, I mean, it was an easy push the buttons of people, a chant of fuck the Tories. Mm-hmm. And this guy came up to me and he was incredibly angry. And he goes, you know, the clubbing is about peace, love. And you, know, you shouldn't be bringing politics into it. And I was like, well, why not? And then he threatened mm. to kicked my head in, which I thought was quite funny when he'd been talking Whoa. about peace, love, peace, love, and unity. Yeah. <laughs> that that's insane, isn't it? That's, but it's, that's it's an emotive thing, and people go, I guess, mm. to clubs to escape reality a little bit. But we live in such a turbulent time, and I think something you have to like, you know, stand up and be counted, perhaps. Totally, like where I am here in Berlin. Obviously, we're a little bit nearer nearer Kiev, and um, I spent a little bit of time there a couple of years ago, and went to Closer and a couple of the clubs around there. And obviously, at the time, there was a sort of a very buzz thing about could this be the next new Berlin? And so, to be sort of apolitical about clubbing to me feels kind of hypocritical, considering you know we're, we're you know people go and dance and a lot we a lot of our time we're dancing in places that you know from one year to the next could be go from being a place that you should go to to experience to to um a war zone really war zone. You know? i mean yeah. i know it's incredible when you think when i mean talk about war zones you live in berlin recently we mm. played just a few weeks ago and um it was tresor's 31st 
birthday party. Mm. And I was at my hotel with like a few hours. I'm going to go out for a walk. I do a lot of walking. I walked out the hotel and there was a riot going on in, in the streets. And <laughs> I think there had been some sort of street parade. It's very near there, yeah, where they have a, a I think the main route. Some other street parade. Yeah. And I, think, I don't know whether it had just gone on too long mm. and the police wanted it stopped, but the there was I was walking one way and there were those people coming with like blood like the police obviously decided to crack some skulls. Yes. Which I I I mean, you know, people could put the police here are not the people's friends, but I thought mm. there it's pretty drastic that the police in Berlin had just gone in and obviously thought, right, we're sick of this. It's gone on too long and just started hitting people with plunges. Uh, so I literally walked into a riot. Then when the next day expected to be over the news, Googled it, nothing, nothing. Yeah. Not, not, I couldn't find a word about it anywhere. So. That's strange. Have you heard anything about that? I didn't, but I'm going to ask about a bit, actually, and I'll make sure, you know, like, obviously this will go out on the podcast as well, so maybe you'll get some interesting feedback on... Yeah, maybe that's yeah. just part of the course, things happen yeah. where the police go in and crack some skulls and no, it's such a normal thing that no one comments on. <laughs> I think they, it, it, I think there's been such a sort of, uh, the last couple of years, there's been such a sort of a strange relationship with protesting in, in Berlin because we had quite a big... I don't know how it was how it was um, in Scotland, but in in Germany there was it's been quite a lot of the kind of protests have been split about fifty fifty between sort of people doing you know what I what in my views are kind of quite righteous things like Black Lives Matter you know and then yeah. on the other like crazy tinfoil you know yeah which I watched with great interest that happened I mean it happened here of course. Mm. But I felt on a much, much smaller, um, smaller level. At least, at least in Glasgow, I know in London there was like bigger kind of anti-COVID, COVID conspiracy, mm. or various groups coming together under some sort of conspiracy theory. It happened in Glasgow, but I would say at one percent of the amount that the BLM protests seemed to engender. I kind of felt quite good about that. But in Glasgow, at least there wasn't so many. Um, Wild, cons- I mean, I'm sure they're out there. Maybe they just couldn't be bothered coming out. Apathetic, <laughs> <laughs> tin hat conspiracy yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad it was kind of like a lot le- less noticeable. <laughs> I was following that in Germany. I mean, it was yeah. big, big there, wasn't it? It yeah. was. It was, and it did become a point at some point. Like I, I definitely, I think everyone I know has got friends uh, that have maybe gone to the other side or at that time it feels like it's kind of disappearing quite a bit now but I I guess maybe it was yeah like definitely and and there were quite a lot of extremes on it and like there was sort of like you know it was all on the gradient like some people were just anti-vax just for personal they didn't want it you know but maybe you know it but there were some people but I I know a couple of people but it became very very awkward for a couple of years to you know, maybe like our general politics were quite similar, but the, it was suddenly, you know, it just polarized people. I think maybe I mean, just when we did our when we did our first post-pandemic event mm. in Glasgow in I guess August last year, and and there was not at that point in in Scotland a mandate to uh, to be tested, but we we mm. strongly recommended that anyone coming to our first event that they took a test before they came, and we had quite a lot of pushback. People like. On our Facebook, we, go, we always thought you were like anti-authoritarian. What are you? Mm. Uh, I'm trying to argue. Well, there's the difference between being generally anti-authoritarian 
And this is a community issue about caring about yeah. other people. There, but I can understand a lot of people conflated it, and people that were on the anti-authoritarian side of things, they went down, and I lost several friends, so they just went down these rabbit holes, not being able to understand this was a community issue. It was not government telling you, you have to do this, you mm. have to push back against the government. It was for the benefit of the community. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's a really, really interesting thing. And I think you sort of describe it really well there in like, you know, like, the, you know, I think there's certain amount of like dance music culture. Well, I think all dance music culture really, you know, goes back to community at the, the, the end of the day, where we're talking about like New York, um, uh, the gay the gay black disco parties in New York and places like The Loft and how they provided such an essential lifeline for people um, to Acid House, really, you know, and anything and if, like in Berlin, you know, like Bergein and, you know, and, and also, you know, you know, all, all over the world. But so it's kind of like, it's kind of weird that sort of people can be attracted to something for the hedonism, but not want to pick up on the community, you know, reject anything when it actually comes down to that. Absolutely. Which, which, which we about also in, in the early nineties. I mean, I used to kind of frustrate how apathetic people were in the in in the rave scene, and they just you know it was this vaguely utopian ideology, which was all very. Which I admit, when it first arrived, I kind of bought into. I really felt, mm. I guess, like they did in the late sixties in San Francisco that we were changing the world, and I soon realized this is very utopian and it's not actually going to change the world. But it did feel like that for a while. But a lot of people mm. were very very apathetic they wouldn't get involved in anything political and then suddenly the um criminal justice bill and suddenly by well this is directly affecting my right to party and suddenly they were out there and uh, demonstrating it would take something like that for them perhaps to to get active yeah and i and, and talking about that like you know sort of going back to those days what what was your kind of sort of early experiences with um because you know i i gather your background was you know before acid house and before that you you were kind of starting to dj but you know your background was more in kind of post-punk and stuff i like guess that. it was electronic i was i became an evangelist for electronic music i was a, a very into industrial music as it morphed into something more danceable started DJing mm. in 1987 play I mean playing some early house records but primarily things like say Front 242 this kind of starkly electronic mm. I was enrolled to all that was happening in Europe and Belgium it felt much more advanced here people were there was a lot of pushback against electronic music uh, the club I played at was a very mixed audience um and quite a lot of people would come up with, why, why are you playing this drum machine mm. shit? They would get really angry about the fact that it was drum machine, whereas now the whole world's reversed, and now it's hard not to play something with a, <laughs> with a drum machine. It's almost like my vision went has gone too far, and so like, can we actually can we have some live drums? In there? <laughs> yeah. No, 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 it's going to be electronic. Um, and also, I knew a lot of people that liked dancing, but they felt this music was somehow too rigid, which I can see that, or too mm. large sounding. And very shortly after that, the first house import started to to arrive and didn't really know what it was at first, but just it kind of fitted in with this music I was already playing. And then so it's kind of primed for when that then became an explosion and house music arrived. So it put me in a kind of, I was in the right place at the right time, had been mm. exposed to this music. So I didn't really have, a, a lot of people I know had an epiphany with house music or with acid house, which often involved their first ecstasy experience. Mm. I think because I'd been into electronic music for quite a long time and there were such similarities. For me, it was like a slow 
movements that kind of gathered pace. And then, particularly in Scotland, the acid house mm. thing maybe galvanised it, but it was a little later, maybe 1990, when there was like a rave explosion, when it really, really, really took off and uh, kind of went supernova here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting what you're saying about, um, you know, playing the kind of beforehand, playing like the new beat and the the IBM and, and stuff like that. And I, I think for, you know, that, that I can sort of see the similarities, but with, the, you know, obviously, like you say, that had the kind of more of a rigid kind of sort of sound and that, that you know, there was more sort of connected directly to post-punk and, and a descendant. Which, interestingly, is now much, much more popular now yeah. in the UK, at least, than it was then. I mean, if I play those same Front 242 records that 30 years ago people were coming up with, what is this shit, why are you playing this drum? Now, mm. audiences are much, much more receptive to it today than they were then, which is kind of strange. So we same with all of the post-punk stuff. People are a lot better educated about music now, and they have a lot more options, obviously, to dig deep and discover music in general. Maybe our audience, not all audiences, but there is an audience that is super well-educated in music. I mean, I have friends that are in their early 20s and I'm almost terrified sometimes by mm. their depth of musical knowledge compared with what mine was at a similar age. It's wild. What, why do you think that is? Well, I think it's just the accessibility of mm. It was hard to access. I mean, I recently did the Cozy Family Tutti just wrote a, a new um, book and I did a Q&A in, in Glasgow for the launch of, of the book and in the audience, there was probably like 15 to 20 people who I've known since mm. I was a teenager who were all into that kind of music. And they were probably the entirety of the whole people in Scotland that were into that. I literally probably got to know everyone in Scotland pretty much who was into that kind of music because mm. it was such a niche thing. It was hard to find. It wasn't very accessible. There was, it wasn't getting any radio play. There was no internet radio. There was obviously no internet full stop. So you had to really dig deep to find that now everything is just much more accessible at your at your fingertips another example there's a there's a german band called les on dangerous mm. and they, they do this track on los niños del parque which has been a favorite of mine since i was a teenager but they also made an album and i remember from when i was 18 years old i desperately desperately wanted to find this album it took me another 17 years mm. to find the record whereas now i could just go online obviously and you know within an a day having in my house but it's it's that accessibility it's a good thing yeah 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 i think i think it's sort of do you feel do you feel it's kind of sort of altered the way we are as like sort of tribes you know like we don't have like mods anymore and stuff like that and absolutely actually i have a compilation i've been working on for years which is finally mm. coming together and it's about it's an anarcho-punk compilation which is something i did not like at the time mm. and grew to love later and find the whole movement quite inspiring and i was writing the sleeve notes and it's something i wrote about in that, because at that age I was like 12 and I liked heavy metal and it was, you couldn't move from one genre to another. But my next door neighbor, um, who's still a friend to this day, she was a mod and she loved like two-tone and the jam. And I used to love that as well, but I couldn't admit to my heavy metal friends that I, so I would go around to her house and I'd listen to the new jam album <laughs> and specials and stuff. But if I told my heavy metal friends that, you know, they would have, Projected me so that, that seems crazy today, but it was mm. so tribal then. It was, yeah. and that's, I mean, there's still tribes. I go to Glasgow City Centre, mm. and there's all these emo or post emo, whatever they're called, kids that kind of gather together. But in general, things are not nearly as as tribal. And the idea that you can only listen to one type of music seems kind of crazy, rightfully so. 
Yeah, I mean, I remember like when I when I started getting into music. At one on one side, like I was kind of discovering raves, and on the other side, I was kind of an indie kid and I was an indie kid most of the time you know and this was like in the early 90s and I remember like you know even that 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 was really like sort of I didn't you know that it was such a different thing the raves from the indie kid stuff and I remember even within the indie kid kind of stuff like there were grunge came out and there seemed to be like two very different factions of it you know and I was really into like Nirvana and Hole and Babes in Toyland and all of the kind of what I saw was being kind of quite a little bit feminine and a little bit like sort of more punk and then you had like bands that I really turned my nose up like Pearl Jam and which just seemed like Guns N' Roses they seemed like a continuation of hair metal and now it's all being condensed into the same thing but I remember at the time it was very very territorial you know (laughs) Well, it's interesting. I have a twelve-year-old stepdaughter, and she is just discovering all. Like she's she loves 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 Nirvana, mm-hmm. but I sometimes like I'll see her what she'll see on her Spotify, and she's listened to Pearl Jam and all these. It has just all become as mm-hmm. you've seen into this one thing. There's no boundaries between it. If you're discovering that now, you're not thinking about that. Sounds more like hair metal, or it's just yeah. one one massive lump of grunge, I guess. Yeah, it's just, does it sound good? You know? <laughs> does it sound good? Does it sound good? <laughs> and like talking about your sets as well and talking about that kind of idea of just, does it sound good? Um, there's this, there's always been this kind of comment, I think I think it was Weverall that said it, I might be wrong, about that he liked to go right up to the cheese line, but never go over it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of the things I, lo- I love about like, whatever I put on one of your sets or stuff like that is like, you know, on one hand, you know, you can kind of really dig into like sort of Belgian new beat or goth or, or just really specialize and go as deep as possible. But then the other time, you you know, you're not afraid to play something that is just a really great piece of music that you might hear at a wedding, you know, like thinking back to the famous essential mix, you know, putting in a classic tune like chic would be, you know, to some kind of crate diggers that would just be like, off limits, you know, and I, I I wanted to know what your view on that is about what you feel about the cheese line. And I've got some quite strong things, but I mean, one I've always liked pop music. The first music mm. I discovered was and fell in love with was was pop music. So, and you know, we, one of the reasons we chose the name Optimo was because you could stick a P in front of it and it became Poptimo, and that was ah. always a big component of the of the club. That there was a way to like one. Um, get people into weirder music by playing some pop music. So that was kind of the payoff. But the other thing was also people that were maybe would turn their nose up at pop music because they were into the weirder music. You were introducing them to that. And, and I, I've got nothing against crate diggers, but quite often we'll do a gig and the pro will go, yeah, all the heads are going to be here tonight, the music heads. And I'm like, I don't want the music heads there because mm. they're going to be sitting there going, why are they playing this really well-known record but for us it's about bringing joy to mm. people and playing music we love i love pop music i love obscure music that nobody knows so it's trying to find a way to like bring these together interestingly we get asked to play a lot of people's weddings because a lot of people who come up and say we're their dream wedding and i'm quite often i talk them out of it because you think you want <laughs> for your wedding but actually what you want is probably but we have done some weddings mm. and I have nothing wrong with i could play a whole set of that music but there's a line i probably would not cross mm. uh, and that there's a, a cameo record from and actually it was a, it was a rave remix uh, by kevin saunderson in the 
very early 90s. It was a huge record. And there's a line in this song that mm. something that Johnny and I always have our heads in the line is, it's not easy being cheesy. Mm. Because actually, it's very easy to be too cheesy, but it's mm. not easy to know where where they're, they're in the line. Where, I'm sure some people that come to see us go, you've crossed that line. Mm. But I would think we're always straddling that line. I think you can take it too far and just ram a load of cheese down people's throats. <laughs> you're trying to somehow be cheesy tastefully or straddle the line or you think we're going to go into too much cheese and we'll bring it back to something that's going to kind of shock you into what the hell happened there or something so it's a challenge it's not easy being cheesy i love that it's, it's love a great that. skill to i think be in the right amount of of cheesy and not over egg in the the pudding as Tiny. I say, some people would probably say that we've got it wrong, but <laughs> it is something about a lot. It, it, I love that description. I, I, sort of, I got this picture of, for some reason, about like, you know, running over a line and seeing how far you can get before you get caught and then running back again. You know, like we used to do as a kid, you know, we used to do the kind of terrible thing of like knocking on neighbors' doorbells and then running off. I and, think we all did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like maybe once or twice you can get away with it. But, you know, it's like you just don't you don't stay in that zone for too long, you know, or at least yeah, the same yeah. neighbor. <laughs> but it is unusual. I think what we do in the... There's DJs that are all cheesy and there's DJs that are like very far into the crate digging thing. Mm. And I think maybe we are quite unusual that we straddle, straddle both. Maybe, I don't know, people are too scared to go into that area or, um, and I do hear, I definitely hear a lot of DJs, I think, wow, that's really cheesy. But I don't think I hear many where they're trying to combine to, to, and it also depends mm. where we play. We, I mean, we did a party on Saturday night and it was like a daytime mm. evening thing in Glasgow, slightly older audience. It was a celebration of our 25th anniversary. So we played a lot of the hits mm. of, of Optimum. But then we did an after party in a nightclub in Glasgow till five in the morning. And it was a different, much younger crowd. And we did something that was probably a little bit weirder and deeper than that. So even mm. over the course of one day, you can do two very different differently it keeps it interesting for us i've been doing this so long i have to keep it interesting myself but ultimately i like giving people a good time i want people to go away mm. i think we live in a very turbulent time bringing joy into people's lives i think is, is an important thing to do and and i love the way you know with with your sets as well um with optimo sets and it's like it is about giving people a good time i get the feeling and it's about sort of like like you were saying that it's about knowing who you're playing to rather than imposing something on on people it's like sort of understanding what the environment is absolutely understand the environment and i think we can we're very good at adapting to different environments there's lots of artists i absolutely love and admire who i know they're just going to come and they're going to do this mm. thing this is what they do that's great as well but i think we're just just happen not to be like that we like adapting we're quite chameleon like i like the fact that i could get booked to play a a disco club and I could play that. I could get boots play an industrial club. I could, I could buy to get a, play a dub club and I could do that. It keeps me interested. It's a challenge. Mm. I mean, doing like an old dub set, that's a real challenge. I love that music, but I'm not used to trying to construct a set out of that. So I like the challenge of trying to do that. Yeah. And, and also I play, you can tech house for 30 years would have become kind of boring for me. I mean, I, I, I've <laughs> gone crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess like, there is that thing about like doing one thing and becoming like 
sort of so beyond Zen, like, you know, almost yes, like meditation. I, thought about, like, I have thought about that. And I, sometimes I'm a little envious of people that have done that. Like I was a total evangelist for techno. I think techno is me, what gets called techno and I was mutated into something that should not even be allowed to be called techno. But <laughs> taking techno as a genre, I was such an evangelist for it. And then I just got to a point where I was bored. But maybe if I'd stuck with that, and I, you're right, you, I would have got to some sort of Zen level of knowledge mm of this music and how to put it together. And there is something to be said to dedicating your life to one particular thing. I'm just not the person to do that, I discovered. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's all about, like, we get to know ourselves more and more, we don't we? know ourselves, yeah. Yeah. And you're also um, someone that, you know, started using, um, like, Ableton and, and kind of methods that sort of, again, were kind of, it took a long time for the general DJ world to kind of catch up with or, or to kind of accept as being now, I think it's very commonplace, you know, to use Ableton or to, to Actually, incorporate things. Surprisingly not. I would have think more oh, people really? have, but I think it's, it's such an investment in time to do it. So what happened was, you know, I was DJing right through the nineties and I used to dream about what it would be possible to do on turntables <laughs> and tried um, something to do three turntable or four turntable mix in but I confess, I just couldn't do it. You know, I mean, mm. it was it's a it's a really hard thing to do. But I would have these ideas in my head. If only I could do this on the turntables. And then when Ableton came along, I realized I can do this on Ableton one I had been imagining. And I started using it in the very early two thousands. I think it came out in two thousand and one. So I've mm. probably been using it 20, 20 years. Over that time, I you know they have this thing about investing so many thousands of hours, and you become an expert i don't know whether that's true but i definitely invested thousands of hours <laughs> in how i have it set up i can understand why someone would not want to go down that line because it's mm. such an enormous amount of work to do it so that, that's why i don't see very many people i see people using able in, in live sets or in kind of fusion things where they're djing alongside some sort of live set but i think i have a very unique proprietary way of using it which i I kind of like, I like the fact that it's, and people are always, what, what on earth are you doing? They don't really understand. But I think if I was coming to it now, the technology with CDJs has evolved so far mm. that they're probably, or there's still things I can do that they can't, but it's probably so on a par that had I been starting now, I would probably just use the CDJs. But I feel because I've invested so much time in this, and I'm so used to have like lightning fast ways of doing things that I will probably stick with it, even though now it actually seems strangely arcane sometimes to have a laptop set up in a DJ set where everyone else is just bringing their you know, little USB stick and sticking it in. And I'm plugging in cables and trying to do all this stuff. I, I do sort of think sometimes like the uh, using a memory stick kind of has become so popular because it's really it's really convenient for going to an after party with afterwards because you don't need to kind of worry about your laptop leaving a laptop somewhere you know you can just absolutely and I'm still looking records around too because mm. I still put vinyl as well and, and, and it's very rare you quite often will turn up and the promoter is like wow you're, you're, you you requested turntables or we'll play a festival and they have turntables mm. and there's been 10 acts have played that day and we're the only ones that have ever had the turntables set up absolutely the appeal of just being at an after party and someone said oh do you fancy playing you just pull this thing out you're i can totally see why yeah yeah, yeah. i've never used a cdj in my life so right okay yeah well what, Johnny yeah. Plays, he plays cdjs and vinyl i play mm -hmm. laptop and vinyl 
uh, yeah, I, I mean, I should learn how to use one just so I know how to do it. But I've <laughs> yeah, but we don't need to do everything, do we? Like, it's not like you know, like a guitarist needs to suddenly, uh, you know, incorporate a chorus pedal in. That's just because that's very that's, that's a good analogy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what, what are you? What are you kind of like sort of excited about at the moment? Are there any sort of like twinklings of something that you can kind of? that, you know, might be on any kind of level or it might be just something you've discovered yourself. That, you well, know. two things I've been madly into, three things madly into recently. Um, there's a there's a dead Jamaican uh, reggae legend called Keith Hudson, and who I've always kind of liked. And then I just went on a deep dive of his music in the last few months and took me somewhere, discovered some incredible stuff. Something else that actually got me through the last couple of weeks in um, in the UK, which has just been... Horrific. I mean, yeah. the country went insane. Mm. I, unbelievably over the top reaction. I mean, I've been dreading the Queen dying forever because I knew how what it was going to be like, and it was worse. But I've, I've been working, as I said earlier, on this anarcho punk compilation, and I ended up listening to there's a band called the Poison Girls, who were this uh, woman led, very amazing woman called Vice Versa who even at that time was in her 50s, was much older than all the other people in the narco-punk scene. She's an incredibly interesting person. I listened to nothing but their music for that whole week, and it just mm. felt like the perfect antidote to everything that was going on in the world. What I've been really into also recently is, is this South African form of um, house music called Ama Piano. Mm. Um, uh, and I've just been on this really deep dive listening to, I don't like all of it. Some of it's a little bit too slick and maybe soulful, but a lot of it is this incredible music. And I think it's kind of weightless. Um, something that's always fascinating is dance music without a kick drum. It's something I've long kind of mm -hmm. imagined in the early 90s that we would reach a point where techno was became this electronic form of music where it wasn't just reliant on the, the doof. And mm -hmm. actually, what I said earlier about techno not being techno, it's all about this massive kick drum. So I'm always interested in music that don't have this reliance on a 4-4 kick drum. So that dubstep was very interesting mm. to me for one because I love dub, but obviously because it was on the, you know, it wasn't on the on the fours. And this I'm a piano is it's a kind of slower form mm. of house music, and it has a lot of sub bass. They use this thing called a, a log drum, which is mm. like a an African drum, but it's like a synthesized version of it. And it has these very percussive kind of like bass hits where the bass line almost becomes the the kick drum. And mm. it's like this kind of layer of percussion, but it never really thuds. It's this kind of like floating thing. So I've been good to do this really, really deep. And I see maybe like one in 10 tracks. I'm like, I love that. I love that. And I, I find that really inspiring. And I'm just starting to incorporate some of that into, into what I what I play. Um, actually, NTS, we do a radio mm. show NTS. I see they just released a, a compilation of this um, I'm a piano music. So. Thanks for that description. I've been, because a few people have, have, have told me about I'm a piano recently, and it's, I mean, it's, it's huge. It's, I mean, you look at the mm. list, watch videos on YouTube, and there's like 12, 13 million mm. lots of these things. It's obviously huge across the world and growing, and in South Africa, it must just be ginormous. Yeah. Mm. That was JD Twitch talking with me, Paul Hamford, for Lost and Sound. Thank you so much, JD, a.k.a. Keith McIver, 
there, connecting Glasgow, where he was, to me in Berlin, and to you, wherever you are in this little world we're all on. Really enjoyed that chat. Optimo Espacio celebrated their 25th anniversary incredibly, incredibly, incredibly recently. And uh, what else is there for me to say? Yes, thanks so much to ESO for doing the music you hear at the beginning and the end of every episode. My book, Coming to Berlin, is out now on Velocity Press. And this episode is sponsored by Audio-Technica, makers of high-quality audio accessible to all headphones, turntables, cartridges, microphones. This year, it's Audio-Technica's 60th anniversary. Their wireless earbuds are one of the best and most accessible ways to listen to Lost and Sound on, and it's how I've been listening to a lot of JD's mixes in the last few weeks in preparation once I knew that I'd be, I'd be speaking with him. Head on over to audiotechnica.com, wherever you are in the world. And... I'm gonna. I've got a hot chocolate waiting for me inside the cafe I'm sat in. I hope you're having a lovely afternoon or morning or evening or night or whatever it is. I don't want to make those kind of assumptions. Have a bloody good one. Mm-hmm.